are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. So Brad is one of these guys that um, he never, he never, he doesn't speak uh, at all. Um, so you have to really work him to speak. Um, but his story is really, it's a fascinating story. And I want to get an update because you spoke, uh, those of you, raise your hand if you were here in Austin. So you got, okay, so do you guys remember Brad, his, speak on, his speech on debt? You know, you missed out on the nut bar company. Which one was this? West. The small bar Quest. I guess it's like a billion dollar brand now. Well, sold for a billion, yeah. Sold for a billion. But I'm going to give you his quick backstory, and then we're going to jump into like the update of the story. So I would say Brad is um, a creative capitalist that's very opportunistic, and he buys SaaS companies. And many people think you can't buy a SaaS company that's willing to pay three, four, five, six x Okay, he gets these deals done at like... 0.6x, and he buys a $5 million AR company, and he only puts up $2.5 million of his own equity, maybe even more, but then uses debt to do the rest, so he's not a lot of exposure. Then he makes back 5, 10, 15x's return from dividends for five years and grows the company to $15 million in ARR, and then sells it, stays on a little bit, and that's sort of where the story, I think you had left. They invited right. you back in September, fill in any gaps in the story, and then pick us up. Where's the company at today? Um, well, the company two years later is half its size. Uh, it was at the time when I sold it doing $20 million in, in revenue and 6 in profit. And I believe it's like 12 and 2 something along those lines. And so for the folks that missed you in September, what, what quickly happened? And then I want to talk about buying in the future. Um, well, there was a litany of things that happened, but uh, one of the things that happened is, and like many of the companies here are super efficient and many people wear many hats and the company kind of went from an entrepreneurial company to a, we need, you know, more people to do the same amount of work. So the, so the payroll skyrocketed. Who was the buyer? Uh, it was a, uh, a New York based private equity fund called TZP. Raise your hand if you're here with TZP. <laughs> All right. So what would they fuck up? Um, well, you know, when, when they hired the consultants to do their due diligence, one of the things that came back on me was I felt I was a little too fast and loose and not structured enough. And, um, and I'm, but, you know, there was a 10-year history of raising, increasing revenue and profits. So you can, you know, to listen to consultants tell you Brad Miller isn't structured enough, that may be true, but... When you have a ten-year history of raising revenue and profits, it, it works. Structure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. Just to be clear, they were challenging the fact that you were spending three hundred to five hundred thousand dollars per month on ads. They weren't just challenging that; they were just really challenging the fact that there wasn't a, a, an organized structure. It was like Brad and his helpers, and where was the game plan written down? Where was this documented? Yeah. But after ten years of working with the same people, you, you know, you don't necessarily have to document things. Uh, so they, they were a little, you know, they wanted to hire more professional management. And, um, you know, the company proceeded to crash 
um, uh, you know, in part because they, on the cost side, raise the cost significantly, and on the and on the sales side, you know, our sales were heavily driven by pay per click, and they decided that that was not important, and so they outsourced it to an agency. This is something that I used to spend a fair amount of time working on with somebody, Personally. because that's how we made our money. Yep. You know, it was like being a it's like being a day trader and outsourcing the day trading, <laughs> um, and uh, and so their returns on the advertising went from what they were to half of what they used to be. So, what was your return on it? What year did you buy it again? 2010. And so, for every dollar you put in, how much did you make five, ten years later? Three years. Uh, later? Well, so here's how we looked at it. We looked at it a little different. It's a reasonable question, but we looked at it as we wanted. We had an uh, an, an immediate sale, and if we could make it, if we spent a dollar, could make a dollar, then we knew that all renewals were profit after that. So we didn't have to invest any money. If we could spend a dollar, make a dollar right away, we were we were even, and then any renewals or upsells thereafter were just gravy, and that's how we operated. And so, um, but you took just for context because this is important. I mean, he was taking one point five million dollars in dividends, and your best year, I think, right, twenty eighteen. Uh, best year was six, actually. Oh, two thousand six? No, uh, six million. In, oh, six million. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but it started at a million and it started at an increase. I'm rarely speechless. <laughs> this, is, this is great. Okay, so. Well, when, when you're making six million, right, you can go to the bank and say, give me 1x my profit, and then, you know. As debt. Yeah, I mean, I think you're a genius at this. So, my goal in the next 14, 15 minutes is to pull some of this stuff out of you so that current operating SaaS owners that want to go buy someone in their space for 0.5x using debt can sort of have a playbook. The first thing is finding the deal, right? You're not going to find your deal reading TechCrunch articles about people that just raised it to high valuation because then you got to go negotiate with a VC that wants a 30x multiple. So, what is your advice for finding someone willing to sell for under one x? <laughs> that's that's not easy uh, advice, my friend. Um, no, it's you know be, network a lot. Oh no, no, elsewhere. tell them how you did it because then they can think how to use that. Well, I had a previous uh, internet security company where we bought a lot of companies and. I sold that business to Goldman, and uh, I wanted to keep buying more businesses. They didn't want to, so I left and took the money that I got from selling it to Goldman and go, went and bought the next company that I would have bought for them, you know, as part of this, as part of my previous company. But they didn't want to go in that direction, so I thought it was a good deal, and so I went, I went in it myself. You know, the the company was like in in, in a lot of cases. Sometimes these are just orphan companies where the founders have done some things very well and some things very badly. And in this particular case, they created a good product. Uh, they had a very bizarre, and it was an internet security product that was a cloud-based product, a SaaS-based product. But they had a um, uh, a perpetual sales model, meaning you sold the product for a dollar and then that's it, and there were no renewals. And uh, but. You, provi- you continued to provide hosting. It wasn't like you were buying a piece of software and downloading it onto a device. You still had to log in like, a, like any other SaaS product. So why they had this bizarre business model. Well, so there's a takeaway for you guys, right? So look in your space at somebody selling something one time. Like this is a great way to like go build a lead list of things to go buy. Like look at your space and go find something. That's effectively what you did. So we're going to make it recurring. 
So that's like step one. Step two, you're really close to, I think it was a VC firm or a PE firm that you knew wanted to get rid of it. Sure. Was that, is that true? Um, well, it was an investment bank that was selling it. So okay. And they approached me because I had had a history of buying like similar companies. And I wasn't, you know, and they've known me as someone who's willing to buy complicated situations. And this mm-hmm. was one of those complicated situations. Um, in part because of the problem of not making it a SaaS. It was a SaaS product without a SaaS business model. So the first thing we did is we turned it into, a, you know, we made it a renewal, a subscription model, and the and the revenue increased 40% overnight. And you bought it for like, was it one, what was it doing revenue-wise when you bought it? It was doing uh, five or six million, and we bought it for about five or six million. And How much, how much cash did you put up, though? Uh, we put up five and a half of, uh, of, ca- of of equity and a million of debt. Okay. And uh, the business was losing money day one, but because of the renewals within a year, it went from losing a million to making a million, literally overnight, just by that one Ooh. element. Um, and, you know, then we just continued. We bought more businesses at good prices and kept adding to, you know, the revenue line and we got a lot more leverage. You know, we only needed one CEO, one CFO. And so you add revenue to that, to, you know, to that machine and it, more of it falls to the bottom line. And so ta- tactic one there would be, again, look for folks selling a one-time thing in your space. Tactic two would be pull a power move and VCs are emailing you asking to invest. You can write back and say, we're very well capitalized. If you have any underperforming companies you'd like to get rid of, I'd be happy to take it off your hands. Uh, that would be a great reply email there in an, an appropriate way. A lot of these folks sometimes want to take the write down, especially after the firm has a big exit because of the tax coverage. So they don't mind the write down occasionally. Uh, and those of, if are any VCs in the room that can speak more about Simran's not going to raise his hand. I know we have some VCs. We have our investors in the room, which, which we love. But people, uh, just Simran, investors love write downs, right? They love a tax shelter, right? A legal tax shelter, right? Legal. Yeah, legal tax shelter, just confirming. <laughs> but these are good things. And then step three, step three, uh, Brad, like there's all kinds of, I've seen folks in this room buy companies for really cheap where they'll go on a marketplace like the Google Chrome store. They'll see that a Chrome extension has 500,000 downloads, but there's a thing that says when the developers push the last update. Mm-hmm. And if it's more than a year ago, it's probably sitting oh, there doing probably- nothing. You buy that for cheap. It's a 500,000 email list. So my question to you is, now that you guys have those three ideas, um, this company, which you love and you know very well, is now on the decline. Mm-hmm. We're in a bad economy. I'm waiting for the news to come out that you buy it for a dollar. <laughs> uh, I actually bought another business. Oh, tell, okay, um, tell us about this. <laughs> it's a prop tech business. Um, bootstrap founder. Uh, 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 you know, It's an app that you that the property manager provides to the renters of a high-class building to do all the business operations. So if you want to pay your rent, you want to book a work order, you want to go to a yoga class, you know, you mm-hmm. do it all through the app. When did you close the transaction? I closed it in um, uh, mid-21, so just, a, just about a year and a half, or almost two years ago. The and what was the revenue of this company when you bought it? It was doing about $3 million. Um, I bought it at a $6 million pre you know pre-money value. Oh, you're... So you're I, up on your the two X is a big deal for you. It was, it was that one worked. Uh, so he was, you know, breaking even, um, very bootstrapped. Uh, was all in Chicago, um, had a hundred buildings in Chicago, and all the other competitors had raised twenty to eighty million dollars, and they were all based in Chicago too. But he had the number one market share, and I'm like, how, how is that possible that in their backyard you're kicking their ass? How do you do it? 
Um, I'll tell you in a second, but you know, but the deal was let's go take the show on the road, um, and so the money I I, I invested what actually went to him personally because he was starting to make profit, and he was like, "Do I reinvest the money? Do I go buy myself a new you know car?" And I was like, "Okay, here's this money. It goes in your pocket. We're just going to reinvest everything into the business." The two million ARR, four million cash. He took all four million off the table. Three, three. Oh, three million cash. Yeah. So I bought fifty one percent for three million. Ah, okay. Um, and um, and now the business is doing seven million a year um, later. Yeah, it just came from. Well, I mean, why couldn't he think to sell outside of Chicago? It's not that he couldn't sell. It's just that he's he he was just looking at the cash and like the business was starting to make thirty, forty thousand a month, and he was like, you know, hmm. you know, and can I do I? He wanted to, you know, <laughs> spend it and. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so which one would do with money? You know? Yeah, you know, and so I think it was a conflicting thing for him, and and uh, and so I took away the conflict. Jamie, what are you curious about? You got a, you got a question for for Brad? What did you do on awareness tech to the people that were on perpetual licenses? Did you force them into a new refer like recurring fee, or did you grandfather them? Uh, we did not grandfather them. Ruthless. We did. How did you do that copy-wise, though? Was there any blowback? Did they go post negative reviews on G2? How did you manage that? Um, well, you know, so software kind of gets um, extinct, right? I mean, it, like, it, it, you have to keep up with it. And so if you wanted to keep up with it, then we were like, if you, want to, if you wanted to get the latest version that worked with, you know, worked with all the latest other software so that it was is functioning, um, and uh, but you know we we gave them notice um, and it was it was tricky for sure uh, but honestly like we didn't get that much pushback and most of that business was dealing with consumers um, not not you know it wasn't B two B on the B two B side which was a small piece of the business they had uh, they were doing it on a subscription basis but for consumers they were doing it as a one off basis interesting and. Um, it was a bizarre model, and there was nothing super clear in the in the terms of service that said that you could have it forever. It, it was it wasn't super straightforward. Top three terms: if these guys are looking at raising debt, um, I'm talking traditional, so not I'm not asking for a founder sure. about that. So the way you raise debt, what are the top three terms these they should all be negotiating? Well, it depends what kind of debt it is, right? I mean, so um, you know, it's funny someone mentioned Silicon Valley for obvious reasons. They, they were one of our banks, but they never lent us money. We, we flowed all our credit cards through them. And uh, they would come to us all the time and ask if we wanted to borrow money from them. We'd say, sure. And, you know, we were the only company they had that was making money. <laughs> and they'd say, but who's your name VC and when was your last raise? I'm like, well, here's the thing. We don't need that because we make money. So we don't have to fund our losses with a VC. Hello. And, Hello. and they would say, well... We're, we need to have a, a VC. I go, so you want me to lose money and raise money to cover the losses, and then you'll lend me money. And they're like, yes. I'm <laughs> like, that's the most backward thing I've ever heard, but that was their business model. So we could never get a deal done with Silicon Valley, though they were a bank of ours and saw the cash flow flowing in every day, you know, and just couldn't get their arms around it. Um, so that was that was one thing that didn't work. Mm-hmm. But you know we had both uh, bank, traditional bank debt and mezzanine debt. But like name the terms. So should they negotiate for low warrants? What financial sure. covenant so, is a so gotcha? The, 
So the basic bank debt was very was very plain vanilla. There were no warrants. It was purely a multiple of EBITDA, typically two to three times. Depending. So do they all have to be making EBITDA in order to go raise bank debt? Or, yeah. So that's the difference with your debt is you don't do that. You don't need that, right? You're kind of a form of equity in yeah. a sense. But you know we were making profits, so our rates were probably lower than what you charge. But we were making profits. Versus, you know, your typical yeah. customers. We're not cheap, but we don't take equity. But okay, so, um, but, but what are the what are some of the, what's the biggest financial covenant gotcha that they should all negotiate out of? Ah, well, that stuff. I mean, like we were taking dividends, and so we were always really good on the debt EBITDA. We were always good on um, interest EBITDA coverage. Where we always struggled was the fixed charge because yeah. it included the dividends, and so we would take out a dividend for the year, but we had to live with that coverage. Yeah. You know, and so we were always trying to balance it. What's the maximum we can take and not have any hiccups for the year and not, you know, not blow through you that. You just write that down. Fixed charge coverage ratio <laughs> is what I was referring to. If you want to go down that rabbit hole, fixed charge coverage ratio. What are some other ratios that we're challenging to manage with debt? Well, the, you know, listen, debt deep da is the main one that they probably care about, right? I mean, so that's the main one. Um, but that's kind of standard in the traditional bank universe. Um, and with the you know with the mezzanine debt you know um, which we uh, also used um, you know one of one of one of our one of my partners was in the mezzanine debt business and so how expensive was the mez slice? Um, that was typically uh, ten to twelve percent coupon with a pick. So with a with a kicker which could either be in the form of a pick an accreting pick or it could be in the form of warrants. Um, but so when you were evaluating, and there's the there's the co- there's the cover rate of twelve percent, but then there's the warrants, the pick. How did you guys actually model in your pro forma the true cost of the mez slice all in? Well, for the most part, they preferred to do it as a pick, so they were guaranteed their eighteen okay. percent all in number. Okay. Uh, but you know, we did in in the early days when we had less leverage, that's what we had to deal with, and then in the later days when we had more leverage, we got to do it on an EBITDA. You know. Um, well, on a, on a, you know, you get an equity warrant, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, uh, and you know, they, they, they weren't super complicated, honestly. It was pretty straightforward, not as straightforward as your debt. Yours is super easy. And I know, our, our biggest thing telling. that I, I hated the most was the legal fees. You had to pay for not only your lawyer, but their lawyer. And their lawyer had no incentive to keep the fees down. And when you're not raising a lot of money, we were talking about... A million, two million, three million, you'd get these crazy legal bills. It, you know, that's probably what drove me the most insane. Yeah. Uh, I want to have you wrap up talking about how the buyer, uh, if the debt you had on your books impacted your ability to sell at the end, but then I'll throw it over to the audience for one last question. So tell us that. M&A it did problem. not. It did not. Okay. It did not at all. They just viewed it as an enterprise value. And, you know, whether they wrote the check to me or the bank didn't matter to them okay. at all. Okay. Uh, and in fact, the bank, Ended up re-upping, and whereas so I you know it was a, it was a local bank in Connecticut called Webster Bank, which still it was a large bank. And when I went when I went and asked them for ten million, they laughed at me. But when the new buy they they but they could get comfortable with five or six. But when the new buyer came in and said we want ten million, they had no problem. And I'm like, how is this possible? Same business. You know, but a big sponsor with some yeah. big funds. Yep. Yeah, yeah. All right, raise your hand. Who's got a question? Any question? Okay, Susan or Bridget. Sorry. Why do 
Why didn't the private equity... <laughs> After the fact? Let me repeat it because everyone can't hear it. Why did the private... Oh, go ahead. Finish. Finish. Let's see what you get. Yeah. Oh, a gap earnings. Right, right, right. They changed it back. Yes, yeah. So why have, didn't have, the, the have, summary is why didn't the private equity firm listen to Brad? Have you have you have you? No, I think she, I think she's saying after they realized they were wrong, why didn't they come crawling back? Right? <laughs> do do you know many private equity people? <laughs> I can guarantee you that was the last thing they would rather burn in hell, uh, hanging by their you know by their ankles, than they would come back and say I screwed up. <laughs> Master, you know, masters of the universe, you know, like just. Just uh, yeah, we got time for one more. Calvin, you want to throw one at you want to throw one at Brad? Any questions? Simplero's not going to go raise a bunch of debt and buy a bunch of companies. We might. We might. All right, we'll go. We'll go in the back. Go ahead. What do you got? Initially, when we bought it, yeah. Well, because, you know, I wanted to write less of an equity check. <laughs> I was trying to figure out, like, like anything else, when you buy a house, how much can I borrow and then I'll fill in the gap, right? And so this company was losing money, so the bank wasn't interested in giving us a big debt check. So they were comfortable giving us a million, even though it was losing money. Um, and so we had to fill in the rest, which was another five. We're out of time. Last question, quick. Rajesh, hit me. You should be the next Mark Leonard. Why not create the next Constellation? I don't like working that hard. <laughs> On that note, give it up for Brad Miller. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. I'll follow you off. All right.